This is Tuned Into the Land, the California Rangeland Trust podcast. Here, we will dig into a variety of topics with the partners, conservationists, and ranchers who demonstrate every day, through their words and actions, the importance of conserving California's working lands. Tune in each month to learn more about our mission and how you can get involved in preserving the future of the Golden State for generations to come. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tuned Into the Land. I am Michael Delbar, the CEO of the California Rangeland Trust. The Rangeland Trust plays an active role on the policy front, both at the state level and in the national level. Back in May, I traveled to Washington, D.C. with Alyssa Rowland on our staff to attend the Land Trust Alliance's Advocacy Days where we met with a lot of our state representatives and key members of the House and Senate Agricultural Committees. Also during this trip, we caught up with some of our friends from the Partnership of Rangeland Trusts, otherwise known as PORT, which California Rangeland Trust is a member. And together, we joined forces to advocate for changes to the Farm Bill to better serve the ranchers that we partner with. To help me explain more about PORT and upcoming policies, I'm joined today by the PORT President, Eric Glenn. Eric is the executive director of the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. With that, I will welcome Eric to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Michael. Glad to join the podcast and excited to be uh, invited to participate. I think what you guys are doing with the podcast is exciting and uh, uh, really honored to, to be invited to be a guest here. Well, we are glad to have you. Whereas I know about you. Why don't you share a little bit more about you and CCALT and PORT? Sure. Well, thank you. Um, I grew up in agriculture. Uh, both sides of my family, my mom and my dad's uh, family, were active in, in ag production uh, in the in the West and the Midwest. Uh, my dad's family uh, ranch and still ranches in uh, central Colorado and uh, in and around the Salida area. Uh, if, if folks come to Colorado, it's one of those fun resort destinations that people like to go to. Our family's been there since the late 1880s. Uh, and my mom's family uh, farmed dryland farmers uh, in, in south central Nebraska. So I kind of got both ends of the spectrum uh, in production agriculture, the, the livestock end and the uh, in the farming and uh, growing up, which was uh, great for me. Um, and uh, in 2008, I had the opportunity to, to get back into, in, into agriculture from a career perspective and, and joining the, the staff of the Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust as a, uh, as a project manager. And uh, I've been here ever since, uh, became executive director in 2015, uh, which was when I had the opportunity to uh, join, join the port board uh, as well. Uh, um, for those uh that are interested port as michael had mentioned is uh crt is a member of port uh port currently has uh nine member organizations and each member organization uh gets two board seats uh one is filled by their executive director and the other filled by a uh a board member from that organization uh, and so in 2015, when I became executive director of Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust, I joined the port board, uh, which is probably, uh, in all honesty, the, the thing that gives me 
the greatest amount of reward uh, in, in my job uh, is being a part of Port and collaborating with uh, our partners like Michael and, and CRT. Um, but I grew up in Wyoming, uh, again, spent time in between Nebraska and in Colorado in the summers and in during holidays with my with my family and uh, have a just a deep passion for the land, a deep passion for agriculture, and uh, and uh, and have been blessed to have this this great opportunity to uh, to lead a, a agriculturally focused land trust, and and then uh, to also be a part of uh, just a tremendous. Uh, group uh, of individuals in, in, in the partnership of Rangeland Trusts. So Port plays a huge role in policy across the country, but w- explain to us a little bit more, Eric, about why Port was formed, who comprises Port, and what is the function of the organization? Yeah, so Port's origins go back to kind of early to mid 2000s, uh, I think officially founded in 2003 or 2004, and and it was really founded uh, more than anything to be a uh, a place where ag focused conservation organizations and in particular land trusts could come and share best practices uh, amongst one another, uh, but also move the needle on policy matters that affect. Uh, conservation uh, of working lands. And so when we first, when Port first kicked off, um, uh, I believe there were seven, uh, well, six members. So the original cast of characters was Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust, California Range Land Trust, Wyoming Stock Growers at Land Trust, um, the Northwest Rangeland Trust, which operates in Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. At that time, uh, at the time of Port's founding, it was just the Oregon Rangeland Trust. Um, and, uh, and the Montana Land Reliance. And then um, since that time, we've added uh, the South Dakota, South Dakota Ag Land Trust, um, which is our newest member. Uh, the Nebraska Land Trust and and also the Ranch Land Trust of Kansas and I think Ranch Land Trust of Kansas probably was one of the original uh, group uh, original members of of Port um, uh, so well and Texas started in two thousand. Uh, 9, 2010. So Texas has joined uh, the Texas Ag Land Trust uh, as well. But collectively now, you know, Port has become uh, really this uh, really influential uh, organization, particularly on the policy front, uh, uh, and, and largely because collectively our members uh, have, have partnered with, um, geez, probably... 600, 700 ranching families across the West and Midwest to, to conserve more than, or, or just, a, well, let's say probably now more than 3 million acres uh, of working ag lands uh, across an 11 state region. And our active uh, project uh, load amongst our, uh, our nine members uh, probably represents, I would guess, close to another 200 to 300,000 acres uh, of working ag lands that, that could be conserved in, in 
Uh, and by conserved, I mean, we're setting, we're working with those landowners on a voluntary conservation project that ensures that those lands will continue to be available in the future for producing food, fiber, and energy. Uh, and that's really important, I think, for the future uh, health and well-being of uh, of our agriculture economy and just our our nation as well. And, and I think we really need to celebrate the landowners uh, who choose to, uh, to conserve their lands and, and make that commitment to production agriculture for the future. Uh, and I also think we need to celebrate the, the, the port land trusts that uh, have stood up and said uh, from a policy standpoint and just from a general outreach standpoint that working lands conservation is is really critical and we've got to find ways to make conservation work for working lands landowners and for uh, and to make it uh, work in a way that's consistent with with production agriculture and we've done a really good job of that and uh, and that's really exciting well, I think that's I think that's where port stands out though as well uh, we have the land trust alliance which is another uh, organization of land trusts across the country but that includes all land trusts whereas port is working with those agricultural working lands groups and I think that's differentiates land trust alliance from port and where our involvement with with port, whereas all of our port members are involved with Land Trust Alliance, the port organization is focused on those those working lands specifically. So that really makes the work that we do on the port front much different than at times than that of, of other land trusts in the country. Exactly. And I think it, you know, if anything... <laughs> Uh, that history has taught us since kind of the the creation of the ag land trust movement, which really uh, got started kind of in the early 90s. Uh, what it has taught us is that if you are laser focused and you are um, authentic to your roots uh, in um in, in production agriculture and, and work tirelessly to advocate for production agriculture and conservation that works for production agriculture that that we can achieve uh, probably way more than anybody could imagine in terms of conservation uh, because it is the private farmers and ranchers in those families that that own and steward most of the uh, undeveloped land remaining in this country. And if we can make conservation work for those families, uh, then we will be able to, uh, uh, you know, ensure that our kids and grandkids have uh, opportunities to engage in in family agriculture, much the same way that I think Michael, your family has been engaged in it for uh, for for many years in California. My family has been engaged in it for for many years in Colorado and Nebraska, and uh, and to some degree even Wyoming. Uh, we need to make sure that that um, future generations have that opportunity, and this is a, a way to do it. And and we're laser focused on that one type of conservation, and and that's the. That's the conservation work that, that really is going to uh, do all the other things uh, that most people think about conservation, including protecting important wildlife habitat, open space, scenic views, water quality, all those things that really 
are the uh, the product of well stewarded working landscapes. Exactly. One of the tools that all of us as port members utilize is the conservation programs through the Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill is a five-year bill, last adopted in 2018, uh, 2012 prior to that, and now gearing up for the 2023 bill. So Eric, can you explain more what the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, otherwise known as ASEP, and then the Agricultural Land Easement Program, AIL, through the Farm Bill, what those are and how they work to help that conservation work on these private working lands? So the, the Farm Bill is made up of, of, of several titles. Title II is known as the conservation title. And in Title II, there are several programs uh, that have been designed over the years to help producers uh, do uh, conservation measures on their, on their properties. Uh, and ASAP, the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, uh, is uh, a combination of former programs uh, that were that were kind of combined under under ASAP. So historically, there was the Farm and Ranch Land Protection Program, and the Grassland Reserve Program, and the Wetland Reserve Program. And in in the 2012 Farm Bill, they combined all of those uh, programs under ASAP, the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, and. Essentially, FRPP, which was the Farm and Ranch Land Protection Program and Grassland Reserve Program, uh, came together to, to uh, under ASAP to form what's now known as the Agricultural uh, Land Easement Program, AIL. And um, so that's a lot of acronyms. Uh, our federal government's great at, uh, at acronyms and programs. Um, but AIL uh, has, is... Uh, the single largest funding source for conservation of, of working lands in the country. Uh, it puts uh, $450 million uh, a year uh, towards uh, funding conservation easements on uh, working lands across the country. Uh, and each state gets an allocation of, uh, of funds uh, uh, from that, that broader $450 million annual pot. Uh, and uh, that's those programs uh, are programs that we, the members of Port and, and other land trusts can tap into uh, to help uh uh, purchase conservation easements uh, on uh, working lands uh, in, in our various states. And um, at, at Port, our job, as we see it, is to advocate uh, for common sense, reasonable policies uh, related to uh, ASAP and ALE uh, to make those programs work as well as they possibly can for uh, working land landowners, farm, our farm and ranch families across the country. Uh, and so our, uh, our work is really centered on listening to the producers uh, that are interested in conservation easements uh, and listening to the producers that have, that have done conservation easements in the past and use these funding sources 
and, and and try to take what we're hearing from those landowners and then trans uh, about what works and what doesn't work and translate that in then into good public policy for the future. So when the in the 2012 farm bill when the programs were all reshuffled and 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 rearranged that created a lot of challenges and you just alluded to that uh, in the 2018 farm bill port members and others in our across the country in our coalition worked real hard to make some changes to that and i think we were very successful and the major changes to improve that service delivery to our our landowners what were some of those changes that we made successfully in the 18 bill yeah so i, I would say the the work that port did around the 2018 farm bill is really what put uh, port on the on the national policy radar um, and and partly that was because um, uh, of some fortuitous uh, relationships. So, as I had mentioned, that um, Ranchland Trust of Kansas was is a port member, and, and in in 2018, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee was Pat Roberts, the senior senator from Kansas, and our uh, port member, the Ranchland Trust of Kansas, had a great relationship with with Chairman Roberts, and in. The House, the chair of the House uh, Ag Committee at that time was was Mike Conaway, uh, Representative Mike Conaway from Texas, and and our our port uh, sister group, uh, the Texas Ag Land Trust, had a great relationship uh, with Chairman Conaway, and we were able to get in and 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 through many visits uh, to D.C. And meetings with the committee staff and the members, and and lay out and articulate uh, an argument that uh, if we made some uh, uh, some really meaningful changes to statute, that we could make these programs work better. Uh, across the country for farmers and ranchers, but in particular, make them work better for farmers and ranchers in Texas and in Kansas. And those changes were uh, primarily uh, to eliminate uh, this non-federal cash match requirement. So before the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, to tap into these programs, you had to have uh, 25% non-federal cash match. And you had to have that before you even applied for uh, funding to these NRCS easement programs. And that was problematic because in a lot of states, there were no non-federal uh, matching programs. Uh, for us in Colorado, we had a really robust state, uh, so non-federal cash match program uh, through our through our state lottery, but other states didn't have that. And so we set out to eliminate that, uh, that requirement and, uh, and we're successful in doing so. And we also increased the, the funding, uh, what's known as the baseline funding amount for, for the easement programs, uh, from 250 million to, to 450 million a year, uh, which was really critical because we know, the demand for these easement programs uh, in in the port states is really high, but across the country, uh, NRCS total demand for their easement programs, the funding level was only meeting uh, less than a third 
uh, of the overall demand. So producers demanding uh, these programs and, and were looking to utilize these programs uh, to do in, any number of things. And, and yet the total funding level was not even meeting a third of that demand. So increasing that funding level by articulating and articulating through landowners themselves um, through these visits to, to Washington, D.C., where we would take landowners who were trying to utilize these programs or had utilized them in the past to tell their story. And we were able to, to achieve uh, uh, that that goal of increasing that baseline funding uh, uh, for the program. And then some of the other things that we did were related to the administration and making the process in, in terms of applying and, uh, and then going through the process of getting these easements completed, making that process work better. Uh, for the producer. And, and, and again, an example I'd draw on there is, is more flexibility around uh, subsurface uh, mineral extraction and particularly oil and gas. In the West and the Midwest, you know, that's just kind of common that we have uh, oil and gas development happening on working large working landscapes. And we need flexibility to be able to, to, to put in place conservation measures that uh, can work in alignment with those those types of activities that are happening uh, on the property and then sometimes happening on the property uh, in a situation where the landowner can't control that because of a, a split a, a split estate uh, split mineral slash surface estate uh, situation and so we really advocated for broader flexibility in the program to uh, to allow for those kind of regional and geographic nuances uh, that that just happen uh, in in large landscapes in the West and in the Midwest. I think one of the other achievements in the 2018 bill, the, the lead up to that, besides the incredible networks that you mentioned and those relationships, which are really invaluable, was the, the novel approach we took to it, providing an easement 101 to the committee staffers, both on the Ag and Senate committees, and then members of those uh, those congressional members staff that were also involved. And that session that we did, I think really opened up some eyes, even to some senior staff level members, that I had one staff, seasoned staff member from one of the, I believe it was one of the Senate committees, mentioned that she has been doing this work for a long time, but she had learned more out of that easement 101 session than she had picked up from the, from the agency and all the work that she's done. I think that was extremely valuable in an education sense to those folks that are writing these bills. And I think we're talking about doing that again. We've done one since then, but as we gear up for the 23 bill, I think that's another tool that we have available. And judging from the success we had with the 18, I think we're looking to do that again. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about easements, what they are, what they do, what they don't do, not just with the general public, but with policymakers. And so it's really important for us that, that do this work uh, to shed light on what, you know, what is an easement? Uh, what is it intended to do? What is it intended not to do? Uh, and then also open a dialogue about how we can make them better, right? Um, and so taking that approach uh, of 
you know, really boiling it down to uh, a, a, a level where any person on the street or any person that's in a influential office uh, in Congress or at a state level can understand what it is we're doing and how do we use this tool and how do we use it appropriately uh, is really important. And so I, I would agree with you, Michael, that um, from a strategy and a tactical standpoint, the, what Port did uh, with some partners um, like the Vermont Land Trust uh, in particular uh, and the Grand Traverse Regional Conservancy in Michigan. You know, we had these we had these other partners that kind of uh, came along with Port um, because we shared similar goals and objectives uh, to make these programs work better for farmers and ranchers across the country. And, 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 and we really set out to, to say, you know, here's what an easement does. Here's why it can be valuable for a, for a producer when the circumstances are right. And here's, here's to some degree what they don't do either. And, and really focusing on these are voluntary transactions. And, you know, at least amongst the port groups, you know, it's the landowners that, that, that come to us and say, we've been thinking about this. Um, we want to do this for our family and for the, for the land, uh, which also makes us all unique too, that we're not conservation organizations that are out there just knocking on people's doors as we drive through the countryside saying, boy, you have a nice property, you should conserve it. Um, this is a much more organic form of conservation. And, and that's why I think it's much more successful because it comes from that landowner and that their passion and their love for the land. Which, as you mentioned, there are hundreds of thousands of acres and hundreds of families that are willing to do that and wanting to do that. We made some tremendous successes in the 18 bill. Now we're on to the 23 bill. That work has started. So we were looking at what changes do we now need to make in the 23 bill? What are some of the other changes that, that Port is looking to make in the 23 bill? Other goals for uh, Port in the uh, upcoming farm bill, uh, things that we really want to focus on is, again, an increase uh, in the funding. Even at the $450 million mark annually, uh, we're still only servicing about a third of the de nationwide demand for uh, this program from producers. And, and to me, if you've got demand from producers for these programs, we should be closing that gap between you know the demand and, and, and what's available. California even gets a smaller piece of that pie for being the largest agricultural state and the demand that we have here uh, combined with our real estate prices, we can't even come close to meeting the demand just in this state. Based on our trip in May, the reception we received and the interest amongst those back there working on these policy issues was very, very strong. So looking forward to working on that some more with you. Well, I think you hit on a really important point in terms of why we need to grow that that funding amount too, not just because of the demand, but uh, all across the West, um, we see that the value of real estate has just skyrocketed through COVID. Um, and, and, and so we need more to do, basically to do what we, we've done in the past, uh, just to keep up 
too. So that's a that's a really important point. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, inequity, I would say, in the in in state allocations that I would like to see kind of smoothed out a little bit. Um, but the other uh, other key policy points for us is that we'd like to see the the amount that the feds uh, would put into or be willing to put into these transactions increase right now uh, in some circumstances they'll put as much as 75 percent of the the purchase price uh, towards uh, towards these we'd like to see that number across the board go to 80 percent um, that that makes the program work better for producers um, we'd also like to see an ability for us to use other means to value conservation so right now uh, and this is kind of a bigger and a more broad policy discussion um, but conservation easements are valued based on a, an elimination of uh, hypothetical development uh, rights um, that could be, uh, you know, exercised at some point in the future. But in, in a lot of cases, and I, I always pick on Colorado because that's where we work. Um, you know, there's places in Colorado that you're not going to see kind of traditional subdivision development that we all kind of think of when we think about development. You know, you're not going to see the 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 uh, sub the uh, suburb housing developments in some places in in rural Colorado, but we still have really high conservation values in those places, and we have really important from an ag standpoint. Uh, values in those places. And so we need to find a different way to value conservation for conservation. And and so one of the things we want to make sure that we have flexibility under uh, these farm bill programs is, is that we can use alternative methods for valuing conservation. And, and we're working, Port's working on that uh, kind of broader issue of new ways to develop these things. Um, you know, the work you guys have done on your ecosystem services um, studies, Michael, with with Cal Berkeley, we want to take some of that data and use that to, to find ways to value conservation. And we want to make sure that we have that flexibility in the farm bill to do that um, in the future. The other things we want to do is, is can we, can the agency put money towards helping support the transaction cost for doing these uh, for landowners and for producers. Conservation easements are expensive transactions uh, to get them done. And I think we need to see uh, options within this program for the agency to support those costs. Uh, And then kind of a big one, uh, in my opinion, and probably the most important, is is we need to work on... um, uh, the statutory provisions of how land trusts uh, steward and enforce the terms of these easements moving forward. How do what? And we need to align the farm bill easement programs and the statutory provisions uh, for easement administration to best practices uh, in how we all. Uh, manage our, our our easement portfolios generally speaking um, and and that's a big one because we need the ability to amend these easements uh, over time uh, and we need that flexibility because we try to write a document that's supposed to last forever when things change uh, 
we need to have the ability to go back and, and, and look at these. And as long as we're continuing to protect those conservation values and protect the ag, the integrity of the ag operation uh, through an amendment, we should have the flexibility to do that. And that's going to be really uh, a key provision of what we want to try to uh, uh, accomplish uh, in the in the next farm bill. And then the other one I would say is that the agency needs to give authority and broad flexibility to organizations like CCALT and California Rangeland Trust who have vast experience managing these easement transactions. Give us the flexibility to manage these transactions the way we know how to do that. And, 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 we know how to comply with the statutory provisions that the programs are trying to do. Give us the authority to do that without having to go through this, a lot of this bureaucratic oversight that the agency currently requires to do these um, these transactions. I think that's a big one too, Eric, because we can make all these provisional changes that work great for the program, but if the service delivery is not efficient and effective, that's where we're having issues today. Uh, we have projects that should have gone through the, the bureaucratic process long before now. They're still being held up when appraisals are being reviewed you know, back east and uh, other challenges of just getting through that bureaucracy or, or, or keeping those dollars from hitting the ground. So changes to the service delivery so it's more effective for our landowner partners and the land trust is a, a, a key part of that. We had a chance, as I mentioned earlier, Alyssa and I, to go back to D.C. in May, teamed up with a couple of your staff members, and I think it was a very productive trip. I hope that your staff, as well as uh, our partners in Montana who attended, felt the same way. Uh, It was a good working trip for all of us representing Port to drive those principles home and all of our policy decisions and our advocacy roles. What's the next step for Port in regard to these policy topics that we discussed today? So we've got a busy year ahead of us. Um, kind of next on the uh, calendar is a trip back to D.C. just as, uh, as, as the uh, Port organizations uh, that'll happen in, in mid-July. Uh, and then we'll uh, likely have another trip probably sometime after the election uh, chaos subdues and, and we kind of know the outcome of, uh, of any changes to uh, the makeup of uh, the majority and minorities in the House and Senate. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we'll be doing another trip uh, back to D.C. sometime in, in February or March of, of 2023. And, and, and those trips are really important. You know, we, we try to take landowners uh, on, on those trips so that members and committee staff can hear directly from those that are impacted um, by the work that we do. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we gear up for those trips, it's a lot of, uh, of planning uh, meetings with uh, committee staff, with members, uh, with agency staff to just talk about what we want to try to do and why we want to try to do it and why we think it's going to help these programs deliver on their purpose better, uh, but also why we think that the 
the work, the, the policy principles that we're advocating for, uh, you know, work for the landowners. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Um, it's the fun work, I think. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun uh, for me my staff out in Colorado to collaborate with your staff, Michael, and with, with the staff of all of our port members. Like I said, it's the most rewarding part of my job. It's the part that I look most forward to is, is learning from you all because we get so siloed in our own little uh, uh, part of the world and thinking that we do, you know, the work the best. And then we learn, you know, some of the things that you guys are doing in California and, and we're like, wow, we could, we could do that. And we could even do uh, the work we're doing in Colorado better or learning from, from Chad down in Texas or land in Kansas and, and Dave in Nebraska. Yeah. You know, that connection I think is our greatest competitive advantage within uh, the space that we work uh, because we get to learn from each other and, and uh, that makes us better. Oh, absolutely. I've, I have to say we have borrowed a lot of the knowledge and experience from Colorado that make uh, us here uh, successful as well, but port success due to the mem- its members, of course, but also to the leadership that, that you've provided the last several years as its president. So thank you for that leadership that you've given uh, this organization. It's, it's tough with no staff. It's a completely volunteer effort, and it takes you away from your efforts there. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that because knowing you, when I get the emails at 3 a.m., it's it's probably the extra work that goes into port. And so it's not taking anything away from CCALT. It's all additional. Well, that's right. It's all additional. You know, it's 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 value added, um, and and that's what makes it fun. And um, it's a real honor to to serve as president. And you know, I couldn't do it without uh, without you all helping out. And for those that don't know, Michael has been kind of the uh, logistics behind Port for for many many years, and um, is such a valued member of uh, of the coalition. And uh, excited to see all the success you guys have been having out in California. California. So um, keep up the good work. Well, thank you. And thank you for being with us today and explaining uh, all these policy issues and the the alphabet soup of acronyms and how important all this work is to our landowner partners across the West. We really appreciate that and look forward to seeing you, uh, if not before, in beautiful Washington, D.C. in lovely July. Can't wait. Thanks, Michael. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Tune Into the Land. We hope you enjoyed learning more about the work we do behind the scenes at the Rangeland Trust to demonstrate to policymakers why rangeland conservation matters. Be sure to hit that follow button so you're notified when the next episode is released. We will talk to you again in July with another episode. Mm-hmm.